Hello, Feisties. I'm Sarah Gross, CEO and founder of Feisty Media. And I'm here to tell you that our foundational strength training course, Strong, is on sale now through April 10th. If you're like me, you probably get a lot of crap in your Instagram or Facebook feed telling you how you should look or how you will feel if you look a certain way. As summer approaches, this only gets worse. We are told we should have a quote-unquote summer body, as if our bodies somehow morph into something completely different just because the weather changes. And frankly, over here at Feisty Media, we are totally sick of it. Because at Feisty, our vision is to build an empowering culture for active women. We want to shift our attention away from what our bodies look like and focus instead on what our bodies can do especially during the summer months when having the physical strength to do the activities we love is so important. The Strong Course is designed to take any woman, regardless of your starting point, through everything you need to know to level up your strength training journey. It includes a 16-week program to help you progress from wherever you are to lifting heavy or heavy-ish with dumbbells or a barbell. It also includes modules on the physiology of strength training for women, nutrition, how we keep ourselves injury-free, and more. I want every woman to be able to do the things that bring her joy and be strong enough to do them for life. Enrollment in this course is now open and you can sign up and learn more at womensperformance.com forward slash strong or check the show notes of this episode for the link. And for those of you who are among the 800 women who have already taken the Strong Course with one of our previous cohorts, congratulations on taking the plunge. And to the rest of you, see you in the course in April. Make this summer your strongest and best ever. Head over to womensperformance.com forward slash strong today. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Business of Fitness podcast with me, Molly Herford, on the Feisty Media Network. So we are finishing up our Market Yourself March with actually kind of a full circle episode. Today we have Ashley Rankin from Shredley. Now, you might remember talking about Shredley earlier in the month when we had Jeanette Sherman on to talk about public relations and PR and all that fun stuff. And she's actually the one that introduced me to Shredley. So this is kind of a really fun conversation that almost picks up where we left off there. And I love this one because it is going back to talking to the founder of a company that started really small and almost without, not without a plan, but definitely without the you know full-on business plan that we tend to think that we really need. Uh, she just kind of saw this need in the market and went for it. And honestly... Shredley has done some truly amazing things, and I absolutely love their collections. They just dropped their spring 2023 collection, and it's super cool. So highly recommend checking it out if you're in the market for some women's mountain bike apparel. But even if you are not, even if you are not in the apparel business, I think this episode is still so worth listening to. Because I think we tend to think that starting especially a product-based business like this requires a huge amount of startup funds and we start thinking about venture capital and putting together an investment proposal and this, this, this. But Ashley really just kind of started with, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. And 
you know, she's really built this business in a really natural, organic way and is still continuing to grow the business. And I love it. And seeing a lot of smaller apparel companies that have been bought up by the the bigger retailers, it's really cool to see that she is still kind of this scrappy company, even though you would not guess it when you look at the Shredley feed and you see all these gorgeous photos. And we, we do talk about that. Like, wh- how do you make a brand really stand out in a now crowded space and how do you do it on a budget and she's got some really good answers so highly highly recommend taking a lot of notes thinking about how you can apply this stuff to your business even if you aren't product even if you're more service oriented uh, just a lot of great topics on how to get started and really get the word out about what you're doing so without further ado i will turn this over to ashley rankin enjoy this episode i know i did Okay. Ashley Rankin, welcome to the Business of Fitness podcast. I'm so surprised our paths have not crossed before. So I'm so excited that we get to chat today. I am too. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So I realize I I always hate starting with like the quick how you got here bio, because I know that itself could be just hours of entertainment. But Let's let's just get the elevator backstory here. If someone's like, how did you end up starting Shredley? What's what's sort of the necessary background we need to know to get into now you run a women's cycling clothing company? Let's do it. Um okay, so well the the like the story really is just I grew up mountain biking, I grew up in Colorado. And you have to remember, so let's go back 10 years. Shredley just turned 10. So 10 years ago, there it's like really funny to look at the pictures of what we were wearing because you'd think it was from the 90s. Like for some reason, cycling was like 10 years be- behind like streetwear. Um, and so my girlfriends and I were actually, we were in Moab, we were riding and we were just lamenting about like, there's no great options. Like, why can't we find a pair of shorts that are comfortable and are cute? Or, you know, like it seemed like there was always something missing, like they were maybe cute, but the fabric wasn't right or the fabric was good, but the shorts weren't cute. Um, So I'm at this point, like riding in my um, integrated shorts where there's just like an elastic waistband with a chamois built in, not good, not great, hard to get on and off, not fun to get dressed. And the same girlfriends that I was riding with, we all dirt bike too. And getting ready to dirt bike was like an experience. You put on the gear, you like feel badass. It's so fun. Like it kind of just puts you in this persona. And we realized like that was missing from mountain biking. So I went to school for apparel design and production. So I started to like connect all the dots. Like, well, I know what I want to wear. And mine was very aesthetically focused. And then um, my like together, the three of us kind of just designed on this ride, like what we thought the ideal mountain bike short would be. And it was pretty basic. There was like nothing groundbreaking about it. It was just really thoughtful features. Um, But we pretty much just like put together the anatomy of what that short would look like. And I could not stop thinking about it for, for like months. I would like go to sleep thinking like, I'd see like a cute pillow or a cute shower curtain and be like, see, why can't that print be like a fun pair of shorts? And I kind of just decided like, I want to make cute shorts for me and my girlfriends. I didn't really know that I was setting out on this journey to like create a brand, but one thing kind of led to another. And here we are. I love it. Now going back to when you were in school for apparel design, did you, were you thinking in terms of this more like technical athletic stuff or were you more on like the high fashion side what what got your interest in that going yeah funny you ask because no so I grew up in a small town 
I like imagined being this designer who lived in a city who lived in like a, an apartment building, like basically Jennifer Aniston on Friends. Like this was like what I thought would be like my ideal. And so I had no interest in outdoor. Um, and I, I did a, an internship in Florence, Italy for a high-end couture designer. And that was my dream. Like I wanted to do evening wear. Um, but I took a weekend. So I spent the summer living in the city and I took a weekend trip to Switzerland and I had this moment. I was like on top of this mountain in Switzerland. And I had this moment of like, oh, this is home. Like this, this is, this is where I'm meant to be. So I didn't realize how connected and ingrained, like being from the mountains and growing up in the mountains was in me until I had left. Um, so I started to have like this pull on me, like, okay, so maybe I don't want to, like, I'm about to finish school. Maybe I don't want to go to the city and do that. I kind of really feel this like draw back to the mountains. And I still would not have it. I, I said, I don't want to do outdoor. I think it's kind of boring. It's like not, not what I want to do. Um, and there was very little opportunity for that if you did live in the mountains. So I ended up going back to Colorado. I went back to the mountains after school um, and not back to Colorado because it was already in Colorado. I went to design school in northern Colorado. Um, and it kind I had a degree in marketing, too. So I went into the marketing world in real estate, actually. So I'm very far from where I was. Right. Um, but I started to have more disposable income, was starting to ride more. And so. I, this is how I came back to the design pieces that I just found something that I couldn't find because I was looking for it everywhere. And that is how the two connected that I was like, you know what? Okay, no, I never really wanted to design outdoor, but I know I want to design this product. And now I'm super passionate about designing technical outerwear because it's an area that hasn't really been beautiful in terms of like combining art and fashion and design. So for me, all the things that I loved about high-end couture is what I wanted to bring into mountain biking. Um, so it, it created like this, it's it's just so funny how life works like that. I would have never told you that's what I wanted to do. And now I know that's like what I meant to do. I love it. I love it. And also I just wrote down evening wear collection question mark. I'm like, I feel like <laughs> you could do such amazing things with like an evening wear inspired collection because you do do just so many really interesting things with design that you just wouldn't expect like there's so many little details that I really love and appreciate um so designing women's clothes for cycling already very tricky just on the roadside alone and on the road it's all spandex it's very stretchy so you know, you get a little bit more like leeway with the fit and stuff. Mm -hmm. Mountain biking, on the other hand, as I was, as you were talking and I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, you know, like when I first got into cycling, I was just wearing men's kit and like, no, it didn't fit amazing on the road, like road stuff. It didn't fit perfectly, but I could wear it. Mountain biking, not really an option because the fit is so different and the fabrics are not nearly as as stretchy. Forgiving. Yeah. Yeah. Forgiving. There we go. So how, how do you figure out, how do you break that barrier? Especially when there weren't really, like there wasn't really much on the market at that point for women's mountain bike. Yeah. It's such a great question that I think, um, has actually been something that really set us apart. Like you said, so we didn't invent women's mountain bike apparel. It existed, but I think we just took a different approach. And I think there's a couple of reasons why we did it. First of all, I didn't come from the industry. Um, so I didn't have anything to compare to. So what I didn't know actually was like really great because I didn't have this model to follow. 
I had my education. I had like my real life experience and all the things that we were kind of complaining about. So I really started with solving a problem. So I didn't start from something that already existed. And I think that really helped us because um, when I started to fit, you're right. Like it's really hard and you cannot fit everyone. Like we've learned that. I think we were really, really lucky to launch with one. Like we started with one style of short and to fit that on as many bodies as we could was really amazing and exciting to see. But what we have learned is that it's an evolution. Like your product line has to evolve and especially being a women's specific brand, like that's a bold statement to say we're a women's specific brand making product for women because when you can't fit a certain demographic or there's people that feel left out, like it's a very emotional thing. Um, and so it's, a, it's an awareness that we have. So to kind of answer your question, um, I see so much opportunity for that to still improve for everyone. But what we do is we start with a fit that we will try on as many different body shapes and sizes as possible and see what the common denominators are. So like, what is something that we're seeing across the board? Obviously it's not gonna fit everyone the same, but are we seeing something on every body shape and size that we think could be improved? Um, and then over time, like our, we still offer the style that we started with, but we've gone through five or six generations of it. So we'll just tweak things and we decide what to tweak based on customer feedback. But I also go to a lot of events. So being the designer and going to events and seeing our product on people, I start to see those common denominators. So it's not just forced fit sessions, which are really important to do, but it's like real life in action. And then having a really close relationship with your customers and listening to them and like really being open to that feedback where it's not, it can feel like criticism sometimes, but there's always like a little nugget in there that you're like, okay, what am I looking for that's actually really helpful for us? to relate to product. And so it's constantly evolving is, is my answer really. It's like you start with the best that you can and then you know that it's like a living thing and it will continue to evolve. And I mean, the the styles themselves, like you, you do have all of these really great, very bright things. How do you come up with what next season is going to look like? Especially, you know, in cycling, we like a color coordination, right? We like our helmets to match our kit, to match our shoes, to match our bikes. So there's a lot of parts that you're kind of guessing what colors are going to be big in bikes next year, or like what the big, you know, helmets are going to look like. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, we don't, we're not a slave to the the color forecast. And I, I do that intentionally because it would actually be really hard to make all of our palettes go together every year because we carry prints for more than one year. So it would be really hard to like make it. So it's really fun to design what feels like a cohesive collection, but then knowing once it hits the site and it's going to land with everything else, um, it's it, you want it to like have a little bit more time than that. And my opinion is um, like we try not to make stuff just to make stuff. And so we don't look at the shelf life so short, which is different. And we have the luxury of doing that because we're not answering to higher ups. So I can make that decision for our company. Um, so I've just gotten really good at listening to other people. So I don't shop for just myself. Um, and I have a sense, like I'll see a print and I'll kind of know like, yes, that's going to work or no, it's not going to work. And there's been a few surprises in there, of course, but I try to use like our focus groups, um, we have like a really great network of people who all kind of give like sneak peeks to. And so I, I, um, I am the designer, so I have the vision, but I really like to do that very collaboratively and hear what other people like and think, but it's kind of become just like an instinct where you see 
and you know, and there are certain trends that work their way just into the art world um, and the print world. And, and so that obviously kind of always comes into play or like silhouettes, lengths of shorts are changing. Um, so there's like, obviously always watching the market and seeing what's happening and then knowing what feels like a really good authentic fit with Shredley. And it's kind of amazing because it ends up just kind of flowing and it's probably because I'll see some colors over and over that I really like. So that's on trend. So then we'll kind of pull that into the line. Um, but I think it's also fun to just to completely depart from what everyone else is doing because then it's fresh and different. And right now in the market, there's so many people trying to do what everyone else is doing. And we're having that happen to us. You know, like we'll see our design features or inspiration or approach in other product lines. So it's nice to just depart and surprise and see what happens. Okay, here's the deal. You want to take control of your health, of your life, but honestly, who has the time to go into the doctor, get the requisition for all the blood work, and then go to the lab and actually have that blood drawn, then wait weeks for the doctor to get back to you with the results? No, absolutely not. Inside Tracker is the way to go. And bonus, you can do it from the comfort of your own home with their mobile blood draw. It is so easy. Oh my gosh, so convenient, so safe, so reliable. All you have to do is when you order your Inside Tracker panel, you actually just add the mobile blood draw option and then boom, suddenly you have a lab tech at your house at a time that works for you to take your blood. We did this last month and honestly, it was the easiest experience I have ever had with blood draws in my life. So convenient. And then the turnaround on the results is so quick and instantly you get this whole view of what is going on inside you with all of the important biomarkers that you need as an athlete, as an entrepreneur, as a go-getter. So definitely, definitely check them out. Save time in your day, add time to your life with Inside Tracker's mobile blood draw. And if you visit insidetracker.com backslash feisty, you get 20% off today. That's insidetracker.com backslash feisty to get 20% off today. Uh, you kind of alluded to, you know, still maintaining the ownership and being able to make those calls. I mean, have you ever had to have like the conversation of, do we want to bring in outside investors? Do we want to get bought? Like, do we want to be part of a bigger company? Or have you like actively decided this is what we're doing? We're staying us and. You know, we, I have had to have that conversation of like what, so as the, and especially years like this that are like, there's a lot of unknowns mm -hmm. um, or like we just turned 10. That was a huge milestone. And so for me personally, like to look back at where did I think we would be in 10 years? Where did I want us to be? Where do I think we should be now that I know what I know? And so there's a lot of like pivotal moments and milestones where I think you have to be realistic about that. And for me, the first 10 years was incredibly idealistic. Like what's the ideal? What's this journey? This is really fun. And now I'm a little bit more... um strategic about like, I'm going to control what the next three, five, 10 years are instead of just seeing where this goes, because now I know where it goes. And, and it's a little bit of a different journey. So I'm super grateful for the journey of kind of just like, I had no idea what my expectations were. And then you kind of have to shift. Um, and the market changes and we have competitors that we didn't have before. And we have copycats that we didn't have before. So it's always evolving how I feel like we're competing and, you know, really wanting to stay a leader in the market um, and, and protect your market share. So those are conversations that come and go and I have them from a different angle, you know, as we evolve as well. 
I have to tell you, I spend so much of my time, I get so many PR emails and my number one immediate delete is actually like people that are like, oh, it's like women's cycling, anything that's never been done before. And I'm just like, <laughs> and this is out of my inbox. I get furious at me. I'm like, cool. So we're just going to pretend that the women who've been working in this field for decades just didn't exist and you've come in 2023 and are magically coming out with this miracle product. I love that you're saying that. I I think it's funny (laughs) what happens with marketing. You know, like there's the ability to tell a good marketing story and then there's just truth. Yeah, there's just straight lying. Yeah, exactly. I know. I love that you said that. I I feel that 100%. And like, come out, like, you can say you have this new detail or like this new approach that's like different. But to tell me you're the like only people who've ever thought of women cycling apparel. And I'm just yeah. like instantly so <laughs> angry. <laughs> So I'm angry on all of you, all of y'all's behalf. <laughs> I support. Thank you. I support your feelings in that. And I do think, like I said before, like we did not invent it. So like I'm proud of what, like how we've pushed the needle, or like what we've accomplished, or the trail that we blazed. But we didn't do it by ourselves. And there are a lot of women, especially from within the industry, maybe not even on the apparel side, but from within this the industry that have been racing and fighting for equal payouts and all like that have just helped the whole industry that have been doing that without, I feel like, much progress or recognition or reward before we started. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Okay. So going way back to this, you know, you get the idea for the brand. You have a background in marketing. You have a background in apparel. Uh, Those are both different than owning and running a business, especially one that has a lot of overhead, right? Like to to do a run of shorts is not cheap. Uh, Even I'm like, now that I I said that, I'm like backing that up. Like, where do I get the fabric? How do I get, how do I figure out the pattern? Where do I get it made? Like, how did you figure all of this stuff out? Oh my gosh. Well, remember when I said I didn't know what I didn't know? I did not know what I was getting myself into. And it's a good thing I didn't because I think I would have been terrified. And instead, I was super excited and I was young and energized and I was willing to just like go with this idea and this passion. So but what I did to start, which I do tell people when when asked, you know, like as a mentor, how do you even start? I tell people to just like start with one thing a day, because if you try to think of the whole big picture, it does. It gets very overwhelming and everything that you just listed like and there's still you know, there's still so much I don't know. And I'm really honest about that. Like I have no ego about pretending like I'm an expert or that I know anything. I've been doing this for 10 years. That's a long time, but that's not a lifetime. Um, And there's still a whole lot to learn. So number one, I'm just eager to learn. And I'm always eager to have anyone teach me what they know or be connected to someone in any way that knows more than me. Um, I still think that there's so much value in us and me not knowing you know, what I was doing because I really did look at it from a different angle. And I kind of recreated the wheel in some ways that was not super helpful, but it's given me so much experience in every area of my business, which I can totally appreciate. But if I did it again, I would do it very differently just because now I know so much more than I did before. So figuring it out is a lot of just like, well, what makes sense? Like if you're a problem solver, how are you going to attack this? And so being a good problem solver has been my my saving grace. Um, But then 
knowing when to ask for help and not being afraid to ask for help. And and then someone said to me recently, like, you handled that so well. I can't believe you're not more upset. And I'm like, oh, I'm used to this. Like, this is part of the deal. Like, things go wrong. You can't lose it. You can't freak out. Like, it's a learning experience. And because there are so many moments where you're like, oh, no, is this it? Like, is this that one thing that you hear people talk about in business? Like, is this going to be, is this going to be it? And most of the time, they just turn out to be good stories and you kind of figure your way through and there's always got to be a solution. There has to be a solution. It might not be the one you like. Some of them will hurt. Some of them will have a financial impact, but um, it's part of, it's so much part of it. And I, I have so much appreciation just for business. Like what we've started, what we started with and where we are, I'm so proud of, but like businesses that grow into the, you know, all different levels. I just have so much appreciation. And I think it's really cool too, when businesses decide like, this is not my ideal, you know, like my ideal is not growing into this huge corporation. And I'm not speaking for myself. I'm just saying in general, I find it fascinating for, for people and founders who have, they know their path or they know like what their true potential is. Cause I think it's different for everyone. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you've mentioned we a few times, talk to me about the team growth. Like how, how did you start? Like what was the, the sort of core group and like, how has it grown in the last decade? Yeah. So for the first five years, it was just me and I had a part-time job. Um, and, and I say just me, but that's me like with amazing supportive family members and partner and um, like really great mentors in the industry. But in terms of who worked for Shredley, it was just me for about the first five years. Um, and so I would like on my lunch break, I'd go home and fill orders. And it kind of just was like this thing, like Shudley was meant to be because the universe kind of just pulled it, you know, like once I decided I'm going to do this and we launched, we started on Kickstarter. So once we launched the Kickstarter after that, it was kind of just like this snowball. And at each stage that it got to, I had to make decisions. Then it was time for me to leave my part-time job. Then it was time for me to, which was like a really scary thing. And then I was like, I can't believe I didn't do this sooner. Um, and so my, we're, we're actually, so right now we're a team of three full-time people. So we're still very small, but we have about 11 key people between contractors and full-time people. So I have an incredible team and our team, like one person has been with me. I, we actually worked together at my part-time job. Um, and so she has just seen the brand evolve. And it's so cool to have people like that involved because they like live it and breathe it and feel it just like you do. Um, and then the other members of our team are also like, we got so lucky. We have such a great team. We're super cohesive and everybody like eh, believes in the same thing. Like we're all passionate about, I wouldn't say apparel specifically, they came from different areas, but we're all passionate about like working towards this, this common goal. Mm -hmm. What was it that made you that tipped the needle or moved the needle where you decided to leave the part-time job to focus on Treadley? Was it you hit a certain sales number? Was it just time ran out or did you like put a date on it? And be like, this is the day, have this go. It was time. It, there was just not enough time. I was, um, I did not have enough time in every day. And that has not changed. What I learned is like, you never catch up. There's never like a surplus of time. I just knew that it was, I saw, I knew like, this is a thing. This is a real thing. And I have to give it a hundred percent or I'm kind of setting myself up for failure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love that. Um, and I have to ask nowadays, do you still find time to ride? Because I feel like the number one thing in, about working in the bike industry is uh, you basically hang your bike up and it's just, it's just 
cobwebs. <laughs> you, it, you're so right. And I'll meet someone like on a plane and they'll ask what you do. And they'll be like, oh, you must get to ride your bike a lot. And I'm like, no, I don't. I get to ride it. Like one of the things that I thought was like my dream about having my own business is that, well, number one, I wanted to be wherever I wanted to be at the time. Um, I wanted to live wherever I wanted to live or, you know, travel or whatever. And I was working a desk job and I would like miss powder days. And like, that's, I was like, that's, there's just something wrong about that. Like I want to, I live in the mountains because I want to do these things. So I had this like unrealistic expectation that I would be able to do those things because when you're your own boss, it's a weird thing. Yeah. You don't have to answer to someone else, but you have to make sure that your company is successful and stays alive. And so I do less of that, but I will say that I've gotten better about recognizing that it does not benefit me or anyone or the company if there is no me left. Like if I still have to love what the sport that I'm so passionate about, I still have to love that. I still have to make time for that. So I've actually gotten better about like saying no more, but yes, more no to some things. Yes to some things like you just it's all about balance because there's never going to be an excess of time. And I had to learn that kind of the hard way. Love that so much. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay, you just mentioned powder days, which leads me to the natural question of like, is it ever tempting to go into other sports as well? Because I imagine, you know, you're doing any other sport and now you have like this idea of like, oh, this might be really nice if this fit this way or like the pattern we used for this would look really good on, you know, like these shorts would make really good snow pants. Uh, so how do you how do you stay uh, focused or is that uh, is that maybe potentially a thing down the line? Well, so we actually did a collab this year with an apparel, an outdoor apparel company, and we did a jacket and bibs. So we have a ski kit right now. So I've learned like testing it in, in ways like that has been really fun because I am like serial. I'll see something and I'll be like, ooh, we could do that better. Or like, ooh, does that sport or that category need, you know, like help? But um, I feel like we've kind of just scratched the surface, like the our market for mountain bikes specifically has definitely changed. There's so much more to pick from, which is such a great thing. But the the industry's growing and I still feel like there's a lot of room for opportunity there. Until women feel like there is a surplus of options and there's nothing lacking, then I don't think we've done our job. Um, But I will say that Shredley was intentionally designed originally to be very multi-sport use. And I did that on purpose because I knew just like the user doesn't just ride. They do other things. And I really wanted our garments to transition seamlessly to those other things. So we always design in that way. Um, And we know our customers use them for other things besides bikes. So we kind of already have like that going, but our focus is still, you know, always been primarily, primarily mountain bike. But we actually, that's an initiative that we have for the year. You're going to see Shredley being used and marketed in the way that our customers are using it. Um, And that we love that about that. Hmm. Okay. Unrelated. Weirdest print inspiration you've gotten? Like, can you think of, I don't know, like a, you know, cereal box in the grocery store or like something like that where you've seen it and you're just like that, that should be one of our patterns or like, that's an idea for a pattern. Okay. This is not weird. And so I'm, I'll come back to that. If I think of a weird okay. one, it comes to be some like really funny inspiration. Um, but my favorite thing about picking prints is like seeing them in unrelated areas. So I have one, but it's new. So I can't say it's not an, I actually can't share this example, but I will say, I will say that like 
traveling and going outside of the country is my favorite place to find inspiration and not necessarily seeing textiles from other countries, just seeing things from from other countries, um, because I think, number one, it keeps things fresh. You know, like we we have we have had so many prints that at some point it's like, what what haven't you done yet? So that's really fun to like bring fresh new things in. Um, but I wish I could tell you about this one because it, it's like an object. It's an object that has nothing to do with like art or textiles or anything, but it just spurs. It's like really random, the things that connect too. I do draw a lot of inspiration from nature. Like nature's fascinating. I'm one of those people that will like stop on the trail and inspect a bug that's like this really cool bug or like pine cones and their geometry. And it just is like, I love drawing inspiration from nature because it's kind of endless. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you're going to have to tag me when you do launch okay. this new one okay. so I can see it and so we can share it. I will. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Coming back to like the really the business business side of things. When you first got everything started, was there anything that surprised you? Was there any like, Ooh, wish I knew about that. I don't, it could be like anything from like quarterly taxes to like, uh, you know, the cost of like delivery on goods, anything like that. Like oh, what was, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 all of the above. I think that what really surprised me actually like along every step of the way is how much there is to consider. Like yeah. when you don't know what you don't know, how do you find it out? You know, like there are really great resources from the SBA and from the state, but there are surprises around every corner and it is like some of them are a liability, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and especially tax laws right now, like if you do business online, tax laws can be very cumbersome and incredibly difficult and challenging. And so it's interesting when you're an entrepreneur, I think you start to think about things in a certain way where you're like, I can't believe that that problem has not been solved yet when it's something bigger than you. So like when it comes to government or when it comes to big business, and there's like these things that make no sense to you that are really complicated. First of all, it's a business idea. So sometimes you're like, someone needs to do that, fix that, make that easier. Um, but I think that's what has surprised me the most is that a lot of these things that are really, really hard for small businesses, um, but that are crucial to not, you know, or it's a liability. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, oh my gosh, being someone who lives between Canada and the U.S., uh, I am well versed in how irritating tax law can be. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> my life is just one big like I don't know hopefully I'm doing it right <laughs> I'll find out if they don't think so and that's the other thing you'll find out years later and then you'll be like hi okay <laughs> I was trying like yeah. do I get points for that yeah. I mean come on <laughs> give you character references <laughs> yeah exactly exactly uh, okay so what uh, what advice would you give someone who is kind of thinking about getting into this into this, we'll say product business? I don't even want to say just apparel because to me, like this is such as soon as you're shipping actual goods, I think that's you know this really interesting space to be in and a really really tricky space to be in. So if you could give someone who's just getting into it some advice, what what where would you go? I would say make sure you have a guiding light. Like, what is your reason for being? And your reason for being can't just be to make money because that is not enough at the end of the day. Like you have to have a purpose in your soul for doing what you're doing because it is hard and it's going to be challenging. And I think that at the end of the day, like you can see an idea or a business that's working for someone else and think like, ooh, 
I'm going to, I could do that too. And you might even do it better because the person who did it before you had to solve all sorts of things that you're not spending your time on. And if you're following in their footsteps, you might do a better job than them because you almost have a model. But I think that especially in a world where more is not always more, um, that I think like to really, I, I, I ask people who like want to start a business, like what is why? What is your why? And why you and not someone else? And what makes yours better than someone else? So unless you've invented something that did not exist, I think your why really has to have deep roots. Mm-hmm. Ooh, love that. Love that. Um, okay. And kind of going into the marketing side of things, since this is also your other area of expertise, Shredley does a fabulous job with marketing. And I think, you know, even as we're having this conversation, you've mentioned a few times sort of like marketing efforts, and you're clearly thinking about this so much, which I think is is really smart. Um, I mean, you're working in a space that isn't necessarily like super full. It's not like, oh, yes, women's mountain bike apparel, tons and tons of options yet or anything like that. But there are a lot of like big box options that have come you know, out in the last decade, um, you know, from a lot of the larger brands now kind of have like little collections and it's nothing fancy, but it's still, there's more competition. So how have you continued to stand out? You know, when you first came on the market, it's this really fresh, fun, exciting thing, but to keep that stoke going for 10 years is super impressive. So how do you keep evolving it to keep standing out? Oh, well, thank you so much for saying that, by the way. That's such a compliment. Um, you know, it's actually, it's it's hard. And so I actually, I really do appreciate you saying that because, well, number one, we have an amazing team. Um, but number two, we went through this evolution of like when it was just me and I was trying to pretend to be more than just me, it was really, you know, like I wanted us to be professional. So I'd say like we, when I'm answering the customer service emails and I shipped your order. <laughs> okay. I was like, we have to double click on this. Um, I love that so much. Did you have like, did you have separate emails for like different personas where like, this is the hard ass customer service person and like the, the assistant to the manager who will uh, check in yeah. and get back. Let me see if I can get that approved for you. Um, Let me go ask my other person. We do joke like one of our team members has like this alter ego that she has to go into this body to to respond to certain emails. But once I realized that people, when it was just me, but then I realized that people connected with my true story and that I didn't have to pretend like we were bigger than we were, that like shifted things for me. And we, and then like, as a team, we are all on the same page of like, people want to, something authentic. They want something to believe in. They want something to connect with. So when content is king and you are a very small company, like we are and resources are limited and it has gotten so expensive to compete with the algorithm and do all the right things and be in all the right places, I will say it is hard and you never feel like you're really checking all of the boxes. But what we really try to do is balance. Like what does the right marketing mix feel like that we need to be present in? And what feels authentic and true to our brand? You know, we've obviously like when there's trends to hop on, you know, everyone like with TikTok. So we're not super active on TikTok, but a great example, like there's TikTok trends that you'll see on Instagram and they're labor intensive. And, you know, like you need a team to help film it and edit it and then post it. And so we're kind of always like, okay, how do we keep up with all of this content that's needed? Um, And I actually think that I just lost my train of thought on that. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god there was a bigger there was a bigger point to this oh but i think it was just like trying some of those trends when it's not authentic it does not come it does not come out well and so i think really just like trying to stay true to who you are doing what is possible 
Um, and and then going with that. And so I think that what people really relate to with our marketing is that it is, it's not all aspirational. A lot of it's just real and raw. And, you know, we find that our customer base really relates to that. And it's great then because we can be ourselves. I'm so glad you said that about TikTok as someone who's very reluctant. Like, I, I just won't do it. I won't engage with it is my current stance because I can't. Like, I'll be honest, I've, I've gone on, I've like tried to do videos. I'm like, this is, I, I'm old. I don't know. Um, it's crazy how fast it passes you by where it's like this new platform. You finally hear about it. You've known about it for a long time. And then all of a sudden it just feels like so foreign. You don't even know how to use it. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think to your point, like when you are a small company, it's very easy to get caught up in, oh my gosh, we have to be on TikTok because everyone else is, oh no, drop everything. Let's get on here. But if it's not going to be sustainable and it's not authentic to who you are, then it doesn't make sense. And maybe down the road, you'll end up with an employee who loves TikTok and is just like absolutely stoked on it and can crush it on there. And then it will be authentic to be on that platform. But right now it would just take such, like, I think just knowing where to allocate your small resources is so key because it'd be so easy to spread yourself far too thin. And it's easy to fall into that trap of thinking, like you said, we have to be because everyone else is. You do, you get like this sense of panic. Like, are we falling too far behind? Is that going to be a mistake? And so we'll obviously have those conversations as a team. Like, well, like let's assess really where do we think we should be? Or, you know, like who do we know that can advise us on best strategy for, for that? And so it really is kind of like doing temperature checks and you might feel differently about it in a couple months than you do now, or you might know like, yeah, we really want to be there, but our team doesn't have the resources right now. So it's on our radar. Mm -hmm. You've, you've sort of mentioned the idea of mentoring or like having a team around you that you can bounce ideas off of or off of them, off of you. However, I was about to phrase that. Um, and you've, you've mentioned kind of mentoring other people yourself. Um, do you think the kind of in real life mentors are still really useful for people who want to start their own thing? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, for so many reasons. It is so nice to talk to someone who will just very quickly be like, yes, no, this is why, this is why not. That is like so valuable because I think, especially as a small business or an entrepreneur, you are, you have like a million things that you constantly are thinking about. And so to have at least just like a sounding board, if you just need to bounce ideas off of someone, having a sounding board is amazing. But then also just having someone who can very quickly give you advice from experience, because you can hum and haw and outweigh the pros and cons of everything. But I do find it, um, yes, I think that advisors and mentors and things have changed so much. Like this world is incredibly affected by technology, but also very stuck in old school ways, like different ways of manufacturing. And some of it is an art form that we're kind of losing. Um, and some of it's just incredible because the capabilities that we now have are so different. So I've had both, like I've had mentors who know the old school way of manufacturing where it's like an art form and you really appreciate it. And, and their problem solving is incredible because they understand every aspect. And it's very different than like more computer based manufacturing. Both have their benefits, but 
it's just almost this way of thinking. And so I love having what I consider mentors that are young and old, because you get like this amazing mix of just like different ways of thinking about things. I'm so glad you pointed that out because I think it is very easy to, you know, be looking for someone who's in your sixties, seventies, that's like been there in your industry, but when they were there, it was a very different landscape. So they might have some really, really good insights, but they might not be the be all end all. Like they're not going to get when you say, I think we need to be on TikTok. Should we be on? Like They're like, what, what is TikTok? Yeah. Um, And that's where you just use your gut. Like I have a gut check where I'll like, no, that's super helpful for us. I'll take that with a grain of salt, you know? Yep. 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 Um, you just kind of, as you're mentioning tech, that even made me start thinking, I have to imagine in the last 10 years, you would have some challenges with clothing, even just with the current technologies that are out as I'm thinking about it. I, so I, you know, review a lot of kit in my time and I will tell you this pocket size has become an issue over the years, right? Like my favorite things from five years ago are no longer relevant because my phone doesn't fit in the pockets. Um, so, I mean, talk to me about even that kind of consideration. And I mean, even, even just now people are taking photos differently on their rides. We have different cameras on the rides. Taking photo and video during rides is a different thing now than it was 10 years ago, which does actually impact the apparel industry because now you're thinking about how it looks in motion on the person on the trail. Um, everything. I mean, the the phone itself and how much the phone affects product design is pretty incredible. Are you furious whenever iPhone like comes out with a new, you're like, why does it need to be bigger? Do not get any bigger. When, in one of our product meetings, we were like, should we just help save people? Like we should not make a pocket big enough to fit the plus, plus, plus. Like that's just dangerous. <laughs> no, ride without it. Like it's yeah. now like a weird, like it's, yeah, it's going to leave the biggest bruise potentially yeah. like hurt yeah. your back. Like just leave it at home. Well, and like, there's just also this unrealistic expectation, like the pocket sway. If you have something heavy in your pocket, there's nothing we can do that will keep it from swaying. So there's like, but it absolutely has affected our product design and direction. And like, we changed the design of our side pocket to accommodate all and, and pockets is just a whole nother thing. Everybody wants to carry everything. Um, But yes, the phone, like, product technology. Yeah. It, it absolutely steers product direction in ways that you would not imagine. (laughs) And what about women's mountain biking in general? I mean, in the past 10 years, we've seen really the shift from cross-country mountain bikes being sort of the norm and the very like hardtail mountain bikes being sort of the average thing that most women are riding to not just not just full suspension, but full on trail bikes are now sort of more of the the norm for the average everyday rider. Uh, Has that had to kind of shift how you're thinking about making, making clothes? I'm even thinking dropper posts would affect how you're thinking about shorts. Yeah, I know all of the things. Yes. And really like, since we started so mountain bike specific, which was an easy category to understand. And now someone new to the sport is like, wait, what's the difference between gravel and cross country? And And then what if I'm riding an e-bike? Do I need to wear something different on an e-bike? Like, it's very interesting to look at product from the user's point of view when you know that the industry is growing and the user is novice to expert um, because there's a lot of room and differences in there. And so for us, since we were always so mountain bike specific, but that's kind of been diluted and changed and other things like now we have, you know, a smaller line that's like more gravel inspired. 
Um, and so it does affect the, the product um, development line and direction. And I think it will continue because I think that there's just going to continue to, you know, be like, there's this umbrella, but then all of this stuff. And, and historically, like road was definitely not our focus. There were some great companies doing really good things for road um, when we started. So mountain bike was still definitely, definitely our focus. But yeah, as the disciplines continue to multiply, I think the product specifics will as well. Mm-hmm. And in general, like, where would you say sort of the the interest in women's mountain biking is going? Like, where are you seeing new riders coming in? Just totally out of curiosity. Like- you know, what, well, where we're seeing a lot more growth um, is the gravel. And I think it's more accessible. Like, it's, you could go, you know, like, if you live in a city, you can go ride way more quickly or even just cross, you know, like I think just having a, a bike that's a little more capable in terms of suspension or tire width than a road bike has just kind of expanded everyone's access to it. And so I think with so much, which is amazing with so much effort into trying to grow the sport and make it more accessible at a more accessible price point, like e-bike is making it accessible in a different way, but not necessarily price point. Right. So Mm -hmm. we're looking at like, how can people who can't afford that top end mountain bike or e-bike, like what are the other ways that they can kind of join the sport? So I think that that in itself is going to kind of drive. And obviously we trickle down from hard goods. So like whatever hard good categories there are, then I think that the peril kind of follows. Um, but I think that the gravel side or cross just because it's so much more versatile, I think. Absolutely. Okay. Favorite pieces that you've made lately. and. For example, I was just, you know, scouting your Instagram, getting ready for this. And I was obsessed with, you did this amazing like layering situation on Instagram where you had scallop edge undershorts under the mountain bike shorts. And I was just so in love with that from like a style perspective. I was like, that's so good. And also I feel like it wouldn't give me like the sausage casing, like line that you get after a ride. So bonus for that. (laughs) Thank you. Well, you kind of nailed it. That was my baby. And that actually took a really long time to get through development because there were so many different pieces to it. But the anatomy of that short was actually a different category for us because it is, it's like a spandex short, which historically we had not done. Um, And so we had to do it in a way that like felt true to the brand that was not a total departure. So yes, the point of that was to be able to layer under the shell shorts and have like a little cute peekaboo look um, or to be able to wear it on your own, which for us wearing baggies, for so many years was like this crazy, like, oh my gosh, I feel, I feel kind of naked. Um, but the, the scallop design, like that's where I really, my creative side gets to come through. And those are the pieces that I love the most. Like what, like that hasn't been done. That feels so fresh. That feels so new. How do you do it in a way where it still performs and has all the technical capabilities that you need, but then is like this beautiful piece. Um, so that's actually my favorite one of my favorite pieces from last year. And yeah. then, the- oh my gosh. So I have oh, to also say, like, I love it because to me, it's also this like kind of cheeky little like wink at the first women cyclists when you were, you know, when there's like this big discussion of like, should women wear bloomers when they're riding? Or, you know, are we like showing, it's almost like showing your petticoats. Like, yeah. that's what I yeah. see when I see that. I'm like, yeah, these are my petticoats. It's on. Oh my gosh, that'd be such a look at you just came up with a great campaign. I love it. <laughs> we'll give you credit. This podcast is like making me want to start in branding and marketing because clearly <laughs> this is like what I love talking about, but we'll stick to writing books here. Huh? We'll we'll contact with you. 
comes. And then the other piece that was so fun from actually came out last year is the romper. And love a romper. This, this is, and I love it too because it was just like another, um, like it's so, Shredley, like the purpose of Shredley in the beginning was like to do the unexpected, to bring something different and fresh. And then like over time, you have these product categories that you have to fill because that's what the user needs. That's what the market needs. So it's really fun to be able to sprinkle in these pieces that are like, does anyone need this? Well, I would argue yes, <laughs> but they are like everything that we make is intentional because I don't believe in just making things to make things, but making a romper that is like super fun to ride in, there's a that there's an argument that that is needed. Um, and that Love was, it. I was more excited to put that on and ride in that than I had been for a couple years of anything new. Um, cause it just, it was like such a new, fresh approach felt so cute and sassy, like got great airflow. Like it had all these unexpected things. <laughs> that makes me so happy. Like anything <laughs> with a romper or a jumpsuit and I'm just, I'm here. <laughs> oh, get you in a romper. <laughs> I think it needs to happen. Okay, before we wrap up, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can find Shredley, see all of the new drops. And if you have any hints for what's maybe coming sort of spring, summer, feel free to drop them in here. Okay, awesome. So you can find us at Shredley.com and then at Shredley on Instagram is where we're most active. Um, and we do, we have some sneak peeks coming up because the line is about to drop. Um, and we have a couple things that are new for us. So like historically we've done all over prints. So we have some surprises in there. That's maybe like a mix that you've never seen. Um, we're kind of approaching prints in a different way this year too. Um, so there is definitely some new and exciting stuff in there that we can't wait to drop. Oh, amazing. So excited for it. Can't wait to see this unexpected pattern that you mentioned before and uh, hear what actually inspired it. Now I'm kind of obsessed and I'm going to be like stalking the Instagram to see. I'm like, was that it? Was it a teacup? Like, what was this? What was the thing? You never know what it might be named. You know, we name our prints after people. <laughs> so excited. I'm so excited about this. Oh my gosh. Ashley, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. It was so interesting. We already talked to, you know, Jeanette Sherman, who does some of the PR for Shredley and kind of got some, some uh, more of like the sort of marketing PR side of that, which was fascinating. So I think this, this episode kind of pairs really nicely with it and kind of gives everyone like a really good view of what it means to be a women founded, women run business, especially, you know, in 2023 with the cycling landscape, Bryn. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me, Molly. It was great chatting with you. All right. Hopefully you got a ton of takeaways from that episode. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, for me, I think I just really learned that even when a company kind of appears to be this big company, like honestly, I believe Shredley does when I look on their website, when I look at their Instagram, I would never think that it was still this pretty tiny, scrappy company. And I think that's actually kind of really cool for us starting, those of us who are starting our own small businesses to think about. Like it doesn't take that much. It just takes a little bit of ingenuity, a little bit of willingness to kind of experiment and try new things and sort of think ugh, outside the box to be a little cliche with it. But I think honestly, it's impressive what you can build even if you don't necessarily have all of the resources available to you. So I thought this was just such an inspirational episode. Absolutely loved it. Definitely check out Shredly, even if you're just checking their Instagram for some inspiration on how you can, you know, figure out the, the photo shoots and the marketing and all that stuff. I think they're doing a great job. So this actually very nicely gets us into April's topic, which is 
making your own product or being in the product-based business. So we're going to talk to a few different founders, a few different people working at smaller companies about how they've navigated the fun nuances of product-based businesses. So definitely make sure you tune in next week. And of course, that you're following wherever you listen to podcasts, that you're rating, reviewing. It would be amazing if you did so. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next week. 